good insert time of day here as I don't actually know when you're listening. Fellow humans, it's me, Jade. And today on our episode, as you probably saw from the title, I'm interviewing Christian Jordan Ellis. I first met Christian in our collective freshman year at Howard. We had several shared friends in common because all the artsy kids know each other there. I swear, every artist at Howard is the center of their own personal six degrees of separation web. We're all Kevin Bacon, which is a wonderful thing to be. Anyhow, over our shared time there, I was able to see some of the development as an artist and organizer, and I'm quite excited that I get the opportunity to sit down with them and talk about it at length. I hope you're excited too, because you're only moments away from listening to the third bonus episode of On Their Way. So buckle in, prepare your ears, and remember this is a WGC production. Christian Ellis is a writer, painter, musician, performer, and organizer from Woodbridge, Virginia. Among their aspirations are the total liberation of black and queer people around the globe, the creation of a communist tribunal, and access to freedom and land on which to build shelter, create art, and grow or hunt their own food. Hey, Christian, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good as well. So I'm just going to open this up with the first question that I ask everybody. Where do you come from and where are your roots? <sighs> That's a heavy question to start off the joint with my roots. Mm-hmm. I come from, I guess, well, I don't know if I necessarily like consider my whole self as coming from Earth, but I definitely come from somewhere, the same place that we all come from. You know? But I was born in Detroit, Michigan. That's a good sign that your granddaddy's from Birmingham. So as such, my granddaddy's from Birmingham and my grandparents, my mom's side, Georgia, something like that. But then we moved to Virginia when I was uh, four. So we stopped going up there probably like around high school. So I've been pretty much around Virginia, just growing up, Fredericksburg. I live in Dumfries now, went to Woodbridge High School. Um, and uh, my roots, I guess, all of that I pretty much, you know, carry with me. Definitely um, more of a spiritual thing for me, thinking about roots, you know. That's the ancestors, you know, living in the body. So that's all like, y'all are my roots type shit. But, you know, that's everything for real. But yeah, that's that's who I, that's who I am. That's where I come from. Okay, so could you tell our um, could you tell our audience what exactly it is you do in your own words? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess I'm an artist, definitely, which to me is just being an organizer, or I guess the first part of being an organizer, which is just trying to make friends. You know, trying to be a person in the world trying to figure out how you can express yourself and how you can create spaces to express yourself. So for me, being someone that's a very individual, a lot of boundaries, a lot of rules in my body that I'm constantly learning about, uh, I have to create those spaces for me to even be able to express my art. So I like playing music in bands. I like painting with people. I like meditating with people. I also recently been more involved in community organizing as well out here locally in Virginia and also just, you know, talking all that shit with, can I, can I curse? Can I say shit? Go ahead. Okay. Talking, you know, just talking all that shit, you know, channeling really is what that is. We just are constantly uh, doing spiritual labor. So I try to just direct that towards places where I know it's reciprocated. So that's my art. And then the nature of that is uh, a lot of it's writing. So I started off writing plays in the seventh grade 
Um, since then, I've been writing uh, plays, poetry, because I ended up just rambling. The characters just rambling on about the universe. So I'm like, all right, let me write some poetry, you know. Started acting. Got me into musical theater, so I started dancing, noticing things I could do with my body. And then all that all plays into the breath. You know, singing and stuff. Started doing that around uh, 10th grade, acting around uh, 7th grade. Okay. Didn't really get into poetry that much till. Uh, high school around the time I graduated high school, maybe like 11th grade. And then I started doing uh, slam poetry, picked up guitar, started learning. You know, taught myself piano, guitar, and uh, I paint now, too, the last couple of years. Started doing expressions. So it was really just all body work, you know, just mm-hmm. movement work, really. Because it's all process of meditation and then expression. So pretty much anything I can get my hands on. I want to start crafting more things, so getting into building furniture so I can start uh, doing some community revitalization. You know, you mentioned meditation a few times. Can you talk more about how meditation feeds into your artistic process? It just sounds interesting to me. Yeah. So in seventh grade, my uh, English teacher, Mike Viola, he taught me how to, um, he taught me how to meditate really. Um, mm-hmm. We were doing this, this production kind of like the whiz, but we had like, modern music in it like we we did like Nicki Minaj for some reason <laughs> I was just on stage the scarecrow and I ended up being the scarecrow in our in our like my senior year production which was cool but this mm-hmm. was back in seventh grade you know? and I'm just sitting on stage for like half an hour just you know down pose you know and that's really how I, and then I just entered that into my process being an actor I had to meditate before all my shows to kind of dissolve myself and enter into the characters body so that's something that i'll just do pretty much for performances i also would lead like suzuki exercises which is um a movement process but i would uh kind of do with my own spin on it which is which i got from my mentor and uh kind of edited myself which ended up just being a process of meditation um recently i try not to be as verbally involved in instructing on meditation Mm-hmm. that's now more of a thing that I just kind of lead by example with. And are there other ways that spirituality feeds into your art? Yeah, absolutely. That's, well, talk, talk about a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of them. Yeah, I a couple mean, of them. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's everything. Like, it's like, you know, everything is a ritual. Like, first of all, the artistic process itself is a ritual. Like, there's so, like, I've just always, you know, had, like, I guess a pain in being affected by, you know, parts of my brain that I can't reach, the subconscious, you know, nightmares, uh, sleep paralysis, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to really get those thoughts out, you know, the artistic process is like, it's a ritualistic instinct, the artistic process is. It's like, uh, it's like waking up in the morning and saluting the sun, you know, which mm-hmm. leads you to your pose, which leads you into your, your uh, yoga. It's like a song is stuck in your head and then it gets played. So it's 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 all it's all spiritual in that we're literally, you know, completing an ancestral task based on the creation of this song, you know. Vibrationally we are on a at a level which is significant um in terms of the size of things. Like when you think about why atoms are the size that they are, it's just it's all surface area to volume ratio. So like the place that we are within physical reality is, you know, it's significant. It can't be denied. So when we're dealing with the things that we know that are going on in our subconscious as significant and 
the way that we move through this spiritual reality. Um, you know, we can oftentimes disregard the simplest things that we do as non-spiritual. But once you really accept that, you start to realize that everything that you do has that type of meaning. And then the artistic process is just, okay, I'm going to isolate that off of this level of understanding that I've reached or yada yada. I'm going to isolate that and then try to create something more out of this little piece that I've carved out. Hmm. So, okay, that's interesting. So can I... Uh... I want to ask how that applies to a specific piece of art that I've had the privilege of seeing. But before we get into that, I'm going to ask you to explain uh, the plot of the art just so people know what we're talking about. So recently for the Howard 8x10 Festival, I had the privilege of seeing your play Rebirth 01. So could you just sort of explain what the the plot is of that so that when we talk about it later, people can understand what we're talking about? Word, word. So Rebirth 01 is sort of a a little Afrofuturistic vignette. It's a 10-minute play that I wrote for the 8x10 Festival Howard Players. It starts at the breaking point um, of a long dance, which is being acted out by three feminine-presenting characters who are supposedly at a party, and uh, the audience may take, the, take on the role of the members of that party. Regardless, they're dancing, and uh, when they begin to speak, you realize they're involved in some sort of dream work. Someone has a prophecy. There was a darkness at the gathering. So there's just lines and the audience is slowly being initiated into the situation without having uh, the full picture. And then it just continues to get curious. One of the characters, I would say maybe the main character, uh, Sima or Sima, says that she has wished for her lover to come sweep her up in this darkness that her sister her sister's secret prophesied what happened. The darkness was the prophecy of secret. And Simma had wished for, in this darkness, uh, her lover to come sweep her up. So apparently this means something because Mama, the third character in Secret, are they're in shock and they think something horrible will happen. She should not have messed with Secret's prophecy, basically. Two other characters enter. They're looking for their third character. And then it's just really just a moment of suspense and tension as the characters figure out what's happening and the audience figures out what's happening. And in the end, uh, the song that they were dancing to and the song that's been playing throughout the play returns and is revealed to be the sixth character, um, the third masculine character, who is really just um, Seema's other side. So they all dance and they all die except Seema rises from the ashes and embraces her immortal, immortal lover, as he's called. So they're looking for this powerful third figure that exists, but does not have a physical form. And uh, it turns out to be um, manifested. So it's almost like a, a ritual which uh, summons some type of spirit. Um, in part, it was called Rebirth 01 because it was made to summon my spirit of playwriting. And then also the actors told me some mythology about the characters that I didn't know, but Persephone apparently... Uh, who Seema's referred to as in the play, uh, was the goddess of rebirth. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really just a, it's a ritual. Um, it's got a lot of dancing and a lot of music. It was a, it was a beautiful process. Uh, but hopefully, I, I kind of skipped over some things, but it's because it's a <laughs> lot going on. Since you mentioned earlier how the subconscious feeds into your crafting of work, how did the subconscious craft into the, uh, to the creation of this work? Because when I was watching it, I was personally thinking, oh, this is, this is pretty... Like, 
I need to be on a different level to understand this. I'm not looking at this the right way. So like, how did the subconscious feed into your creation of the work? Word, word. Well, this is something that I recently just figured out kind of the other day, leading my first meditation since, uh, since school. A lot of my work now is more as I'm coming from ab- abstraction, which I discovered through painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and abstraction is really just the process of creating, creating images which don't have complete form. It leaves room for the, for the viewer, the audience to have a completely different experience than I had as the playwright. So in this experience, by kind of connecting um, these characters, which don't have a definite setting, which don't have a definite context to them, um, connecting those characters by by lines, which I suppose are drawn through mythologies that I've walked through in my life, um, by just drawing those lines and connecting the characters through the dialogue, the audience can have a subconscious experience of the play. So I just really have to do the work to kind of solidify um, my next works. Uh, Cause this one was a little bit like what's going on you know what i mean <laughs> but uh you know part of that i consider a failure of myself not being as involved in the process as i could have been and also maybe i could have given it a couple rewrites but i'm definitely <laughs> proud of it as a as a work that uh yeah i, I like to do like quick drafts it, you know because it's all expressions you know? mm-hmm. but it's like i i i enjoy that what's happening in my work is something that's beyond my own perception. That kind of, for me, takes it to another level where I can keep keep reading it and then have another understanding of it every other time. And I know you said you like doing quick drafts because it's expressions, because uh, it's like expressionism. Have you written longer works in this in this style, like a one act or a, or a full length play? Uh, no, I've started a lot of them, but I've never written a full length play in this style. Um, hmm. Gotta get my stamina up, but I do hope to eventually write write something long, hopefully a novel, but probably a couple plays just in one expression. So uh, like I said, I have to cultivate this space for me to be able to do that, but that would eventually be a goal. I do plan on doing more solidified works and more edited works in the future, but I'm more concerned right now about, I guess, just being an organizer, finding places to live, uh, you know, making sure everybody eats type and then then I'll be able to hone in on my craft more. That makes that makes sense. I do want to mention one thing that you um, mentioned in your bio that relates back to your organizational aspirations. In your bio, you have a lot of these really big ideas like Black and queer liberation, uh, communist tribunals, access to food and land where you, people can build build their lives. These are all such big generational shifts that will take such a long time to, which may very well take a long time to to develop and create. So, what are you doing? What are you doing uh, now to build up to and to further invest in that future of limit liberation? So like you said, um, it's definitely something, well, first of all, you know, and I'll get into this lifetime, but like you said, it's intergenerational. Um, it's something that we have to kind of set up a mindset for a spiritual preparation. And that's where the whole concept really, for me, of preparing for the afterlife comes into. It's like being able to being able to be proud of the work that she did. But in terms of work that I'm trying to do, I want to eventually start a nonprofit community organization that contracts different cooperatives, hopefully independent artists, entrepreneurs, people that understand the need for Black liberation and can express that through a project. Uh, hopefully getting them funding, and but really just connecting everybody with each other. Um, 
community development, I guess, uh, directly. So saying, this is, uh, this is a person who has the same vision as you, who has the resources that you don't have. So, um, you know, but that's more like uh, political stuff, I guess, <laughs> in terms of uh, being prepared to have access to land should the land be free. That's something that I don't have the answer for. Uh, that's something that time's going to tell, I guess. Um, but it requires, you know, constant self-education, um, constant, um, you know, paying attention to what's going on, finding reliable news sources. And uh, that's the type of thing that I want to be able to enable all of my friends to do. Like, you know, uh, so it, like everything, everything is just like letting it kind of fall into place, but also seeing it fall into place so that you can like get things, pushes, but also like, you know, <laughs> chilling off it. <laughs> it's constant. <laughs> Then a question I I have would be, as you know, like we're in a world that commodifies the aesthetics of Black liberation from like the way the Black Panthers dress to the to the style of the Afro to to like the just the aesthetics of what it means to be a free Black person have been commodified, and as a result, a lot of the ethos of Black liberation, a lot of the the theory of the of the thought leaders has been de-radicalized so it can be more pal- palatable to a mass audience. Uh, you can see this now with like things like how everybody has uh, a cab in their bio, but not everybody means it, or or things like that. So when you have like this sort of dynamic going on, this sort of violent uh, de-radicalization uh, of anti-blackness going on in the world, how do you create art that furthers black liberation without falling into these pitfalls? Oh, that's such a good question. Okay, I'm trying to figure out the first. Um, so well, first of all, I'm just gonna say like. One of the things that we see is a lot of the art that's being created, and I started just from an artistic standpoint, just because that's um, where I kind of enter into this process. But like Lovecraft Country, for example, mm-hmm. not to oh, hate. I, I enjoy that show. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna hate on it. You know, it was cute. Like, uh-huh. you know, and then you know, financially, all that's going towards the same. You know, yada yada. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but uh-huh. regardless, in terms of the, in terms of the. It's not Afrofuturism if you are enabling the same perception of Black people that's already existed. It's only Afrofuturism if you are creating a world that is truly absent of, you know, like, it doesn't have to be this beautiful utopia. Like, Octavia Butler created these dark worlds which mimic the things that we're already going through, but in in a sense where, oh, this is actually the Earth doing these things to us. This is actually the true nature of my condition, as opposed to what we're living in now is, you know, this is somebody doing this to me. Like this is, this I have somebody keeping me in bondage. So regardless, they had, the, artist, the art has to be an expression of, of freedom. And in terms of, you know, not having liberal co-optation of like, of these movements, it's important that you like, as a black artist, you know, and me, move through all of the situations that we kind of uh, find ourselves in with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of awareness but that's really just kind of having high standards and that's why patience like we were talking about but also the word for um, trying yeah all that patience and the push you know both of those are like both of those are important qualities that you got to keep in those situations um because somebody's gonna sorry I'm just thinking about what we talked about earlier <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh yeah liberal co-optation is uh 
it's easy to fall into. Um, like you, like people just gotta read first of all. Like all the things that people are retweeting and stuff. Like people don't read half of that stuff. They don't read the sources that are being quoted. You know, um, mm-hmm. and that's not to that's not to be elitist. You know, I'm lucky to have a certain amount of political education, but it has to also be in like uh, the work that we do as artists. Um, so one of, one of the things that I want to focus on with whatever you know program I start, whatever, if I'm enabling you to build a fan base or if I'm enabling myself as artist to build a fan base, you have to recognize that you are inherently a community organizer. You're gathering people around an idea. So on the first hand, that idea itself should be, if it's real art, it should be inherently radical. And you know that's something else we can get into. It should be inherently revolutionary. But secondarily, you know, you have a responsibility for uh, what types of programs you're doing on, like, you know, like, if you are creating healing environments, uh, what you're doing with these people that you have in one room, like, especially now, having people together around an idea is just inherently powerful. So that that can't be wasted, you know, that opportunity. So I'm not saying just get everybody together, yo, go my well, this, you know, but like, you know, teach, mm-hmm. you know, heal, uh, do the work. Uh, while you have this opportunity. Um, I think, you know, we're done with politicians. People need, like, people need community trust. Like, we're done with leaders. You know what I mean? If you're good, if you're spinning truth, you know, you're a conduit for truth, you know what I mean? Uh, Then you got to be just looking to give out that truth. Like, that should be your main priority. So, like, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you brought up an interesting you touched on something that you said we were going to get back to. So we're going to get back to it now. What qualifies okay. as radical art in your eyes? Word, word. Well, I don't think it's, it's necessarily label. I'm just saying, I think all, what I was saying was, I think all art is inherently radical. Well, I should have said revolutionary, but you can call it whatever you want. But mm-hmm. like, uh, if it's, if it's new, right. And that's what people look for. If it's like, if it's the truest expression of, okay, this is, who I am. I've been placed, I'm a random number on this long list of trillions or whatever, billions of humans that have ever existed. This is my number, and this is what the expression of that is. And it's it's unique. It's different from everything that's existed. And nobody else could do that any other way because it was my it was my hand that guided the pencil across the page, right? If if that is art to you, which to me it it is, then that inherently has to be like why can't I say, why isn't the song perfect yet? You know, it's because mm-hmm. there are boundaries on you from the, you know, we have not reached a certain level of human evolution. So we're constantly going through these trials and those are being manifested as, you know, and not to, not to blame it on God, but like those are being manifested as real conditions of slavery, of institutionalization, uh, both conscious and physical, this violence that we're subjected to, uh, because we're not there yet. I'm not free. I, the, the song isn't just spilling out of me yet because I'm not, uh, my body is not in a perfect condition, uh, whatever that is, you know, and we know it's unachievable, right? But mm-hmm. if you're going to try to achieve some type of uh, truth through your art, then it's got to come from a place outside of what's around you, outside of everybody else. And the only way to do that is to, you know, break down those walls of what you've been told to think. And that is the most revolutionary thing because you'll discover so much truth about the nature of these things like incarceration, policing. Like you'll discover so much truth based off of how you feel emotionally, naturally about the situation. That's the best learning that you're going to do 
the best reading that you're going to do is to discover how you inherently emotionally react to something like your physical condition. And then your expression of that art is going to be, you know, a reflection of that, if that is in fact what you're doing. And if it's not what you're doing, then uh, I'm not, that's not art to me, or at least nothing I'm going to consume. Okay. Well, okay. So this is interesting. So when you're talking about revolutionary art and, and the art expressing something beyond the constructs that we have, you start getting into the concept of a radical imagination. Like that just naturally kind of flows forth. So then my question becomes, what is your practice of radical imagination? How have you developed a radical imagination? Hmm. That's crazy. I've never heard that term before. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm there yet. Definitely not there yet. Um, there's my imagination. I can say that, um, my mind come kind of works in a certain, uh, with a certain, what's the word? Uh, with a certain like amount of chaos for real. <laughs> so I've always kind of had, um, I've kind of had to deal with like, you know, multiple layers of, of reality just in, in order to make it through the night. Uh, so I wouldn't say that I have amassed the amount of control over my own mind to say that I have a radical imagination yet. But um, I think imagination in itself is like, that's, it's, it's very vast, you know, and we, we do a lot of imagining that we're not really aware of. So it could just be that there is no, like, uh, there is no taming that uh, for real. Um, but in terms of, you know, achieving that, I think that's like, that's something that I would want to, uh, that's something I would want to have is a radical imagination, but that's not something that I currently have. All right. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So I'm, I'm going to be meta, I'm going to be meta referential right now. We've been talking about a lot of heady concepts. We've been talking about some topics that go to theory. And I know personally from like me talking with my own family members, that this isn't always what people want to hear. Sometimes they just want to watch like, like art. That's just, you know, like yeah, something that man. you watch. Yeah. So how do you, how do you um, bring, how do you make these topics palatable for like just the average Joe, you know? Word, word. Well, I don't make very much art, first of all. <laughs> okay. And then second of all, it's, it's normally not palatable for the average show. I have written some, well, I had to write, not had to, like, I had volunteered. Um, I'd, I, I had been commissioned to write uh, this piece. It was for, like, a St. Jude. We did, like, a gala. It was called the Golden Gala, but she had this story. She used to work, uh, do art therapy for kids with cancer, and she had oh. this story she wanted. So, um, and it was, it was nice. Uh, so I had to, you know, I guess just write about real things. The only thing you can really do is have real situations. So, uh, so, but oftentimes those real situations are private. So journaling, um, writing about, uh, people in your life, you know, things that you might send to them. And then once it gets to a certain point where you're distant from that person, then you can start to write about them, you know, uh, you know, in, from a detached point of view or write about who they are as a, as a person, as a metaphor and who, what your relationship was. But besides from that, it's like, most most things are very very private, uh, and m most things don't ever make it to the page. So, that I guess I guess how okay to answer the question how I make it palatable is continue <laughs> to do this palatable is to continue to do this and like just hone in on what it is that I'm trying to actually talk about um, just by through being patient and not always trying to make uh, a whole bunch of stuff at once. You know I have a lot of ideas and um, 
you know, I might hit people, talk about let's collab, do this, that. A lot of stuff falls through. That's my bad for anybody listening. But um, I guess uh, when it comes to writing, that's normally somewhere where you can be a little bit more heady and people enjoy mm-hmm. it. But besides that, it's like um, if it's not at a certain threshold, you just got to keep it inside until it's ready to come out. This is all quite interesting. I, li- I like talking theory. Uh, speaking of theory, uh, like just aestheticism and such, but speaking of theory, uh, what theory are you reading or have you read or has been especially influential in your life? Mm. Well, right now I'm reading African Cosmology, Bantu Congo. It's very interesting. I wouldn't say it's been... Well, and yeah, I wouldn't say it's... I haven't gotten very far, so it hasn't really changed my perspective that much, but it's definitely adding clarity to some things that I've already been thinking um, one thing that I read that kind of changed my thinking a long time ago was the works of Sigmund Freud. I just mm-hmm. picked up like a, like a full works and just skimmed through it, read pretty much the whole thing. And then I started writing my own theories. Uh, started reading about Carl Jung and then, you know, read Karl Marx, all that. Yeah. Um, reading Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, Blood in My Eye by George Jackson definitely changed my perspective a lot. And that one definitely shifted uh, shifted the nature of the emotion which I was trying to ex- express. So that's a really good book. Yeah, Fanon. I've been reading Fanon. Fanon's, Fanon's interesting. Um, you had to go through a lot to kind of access that one, that emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just I try to read um, I try to read a lot of uh, different types of things, so you know, when you're watching TV, you're reading script. So then you get your script in that way. Uh, you can read some poetry, uh, try to read mantras. A lot of what people are tweeting, a lot of it's poetry. Uh, some of it's prose, a lot of it's script. And then uh, prose is like just words and orders. So you read articles. Uh, uh, I like to read the stuff that you write, the stuff that you post. Uh, oh, thanks. You know, Thank you. <laughs> you, read, you read a lot of... You different types of stuff (laughs) uh, okay (laughs) thanks um then another question i would have would be like what's your intellectual slash creative lineage then i suppose we kind of covered it with the 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 intellectual lineage with the books but with your creative lineage like what who can you trace uh your artistic inspirations back to um well my mom used to sing in the church choir oh but uh She's like she's got more of that math brain. She's got one of them really like uh, calculating brains. So I've always been real good at math, you know, uh, mm-hmm. calculus and that kind of stuff. But uh, but she just she's one of those like number, you know, just tell her something and she'll figure it out for you. Um, so that's more of I guess the analytical side of it. And uh, I guess my dad's pretty creative. He has a nice voice. Um, but he's, you know, military, uh, not very expressive, creative. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It just kind of popped up out of nowhere, for real. But um, my brother's like that, too. We've always been creative. We used to make games, uh, just make our own toys, uh, make comics, that kind of stuff. All right. And then, uh, this is probably going to be our second to last question, uh, since I'm looking at the time. But... You said recently that, or you said earlier that you're starting to get more involved with community organizations 
uh, in your own personal community. So can you tell us what that experience has been like uh, being involved, uh, immersing yourself more in community organizing during this particular period in American history? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. You learn a lot. Uh, you learn a lot about the limitations that there are um, within the government, without the government. Um, the limitations are between people. Uh, and a lot of the things that we're really going to need uh, should the economic system fail us, you know, as it's looking like it might, um, you know, the healthcare system, should these things fail us, like the type of organization that we're going to need. Uh, it's hard to get people energized. It's hard to get people organized. It's hard, really hard to get people on the same page um, in terms of what a vision is. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, it's just life skills, really. A lot of things, you know, I dropped out of Howard. So uh, I did a little bit of organizing there with HU Resist, um, mm-hmm. the, just in the A building for real. Uh, uh, that was a time, so was, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that man, that was cool. I was in there like every night. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, it, it, like you know, like same situation. You know, got to make sure people eat. You know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. So you know, we do mutual aid and stuff out in uh, Virginia, Prince William County. So uh, you know, it's it's serious work. Uh, you know, so it's it's given me a given me kind of a broader perspective on what a lot of the stuff that I do is about. Um, you know, you know, a little bit more of a task to do. So kind of slowed me down really uh, gave me more clarity. All right. Well, we're here at our last question. Christian, you're clearly on your way to continuing to build and bolster and help communities through your art as well as through your actual physical labor. Um, So I just want to know, how will you know when you've made it? How will I know when I made it? Yeah. I think we don't know. I don't. I think we don't know till that last moment. I think that's the whole judgment we're worried about. You know. I think you definitely figure out at the end if you made it. I think I'm gonna know when I let out that exhale. It's gonna feel good. I'm gonna be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, can you tell the people where they can find you? Yeah. Um, my Instagram is Christian Jordan Ellis. C H R I S T I A N J O R D A N. C-L-L-I-S. Man, you had a long name. <laughs> long name. I think my uh I think my Twitter is Chris Jordan without an A, like Jordan Ellis, but you know. <laughs> and that was the third bonus episode of On Their Way. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me. Jade Madison Scott. The theme music was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo is created by Amaka Corey. If you want to financially support us and do some last-minute holiday shopping, buy some of our merch. We've got mugs, stickers, pins, t-shirts, sweatshirts, pillows, phone cases, and notebooks. To make a purchase, you can go to our website, wgcproductions.com, click the store tab, and boom, you're there. If you want to support us but don't want to spend money, first of all, I respect that. And secondly, you can follow us at WithGoodCo on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Episode transcripts are also available on our website, wgcproductions.com. And that is what a wrap. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. That was cheesy. Um, I'll catch you next week with Drew Emerson, who's on his way to legal success. Remember to take care of yourselves and each other by wearing your masks.